The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 42 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 21st of May, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios somewhere in Southern California. So whether you're driving to work, working from home, or taking a break from binge-watching your favorite show, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Starting on the 23rd, which is Saturday, we're going to use that Dallas-Denver term for training purposes. Uh, so your new sign-in looks like it's going to be 18.15 or 6.15 p.m. to deadhead to Tucson to work that return leg on the 24th. Nice. You, do you need some training, Rob? Yeah. No, he just no, got displaced. Displaced for training. That's awesome. Heck yeah, Dude. man. Oh, so now I got a deadhead to Tucson. Saturday night. Oh, you got displaced so somebody else can do training. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> and then I work one and then I work one leg back to Dallas the next day and I'm done. That's my whole week. Very Love nice. Me. Very nice. Ah, ah. You come work corporate, that's what all your trips will look like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, are we recording? Oh crap. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I would like to start off. By taking a moment to recognize all of the frontline professionals out there, to everyone in North America and around the world that continue to brave the potential exposure of this CCP or COVID-19 virus, however you want to call it, you know, you're keeping the rest of us healthy and safe. And from all of us here at Squawk Ident Podcast, thank you for all that you do. I also wanted to start off the show today by again saying thank you. To Captain Ryan Rosinski for joining me on episode 41, hearing about his journey and the strategies he navigated in order to accomplish what he has was inspiring to hear. Since we had him on the show, I'm happy to report that he has been spending some priceless time with his family, towing their new camper trailer around the beautiful country and enjoying the star-filled skies above Boise. Thanks again, Ryan, for joining us on episode 41. On today's show, we will be discussing load factors and the outlook for pilots looking ahead to October 1st. The president doesn't seem concerned. Should we be? Also, with the reduction of flights throughout the country, the 5% increase in load factors by the TSA's report last week has started to become evident, with aircraft that are starting to become uncomfortably almost full. We will also explore 
in the WTF segment, face mask shaming. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. There has also been some flight deck mask pushback. Why is that? We will discuss it. To help me navigate these topics, I am honored to be joined by a group of aviators that I have bribed generously to be on today's show. Did you guys get your Squawk Ident stimulus checks yet? I promise, they're in the mail. Joining us today, he is a DFW-based 737 pilot for Legacy Airlines. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, a former F-111 crew chief, an AMP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, and a pickleball master. Joining us from his Flower Mound, Texas home, help me in welcoming back to the show, Rob D. Rob, what's up? Hey, what's up? It's good to be back. It's good to be back on the show. Look forward to it. Heck yeah, man. So have you been flying at all? Not very much. I'm happy to say it's been a nice break from uh, the high-paced, high-tempo operation that we uh, we experienced up to, I guess, what, April, March, April timeframe. But uh, basically, my month has been consisted of weekend trips, uh, just did like four legs last last weekend. Um, And uh, it's it's been nice. It's actually I look forward to going to work and enjoying the time that I'm there and, uh, you know, enjoying all the time I get to spend at home with my family as well. So um, it's been really, really nice. You know, I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I had a discussion recently with a friend of mine that, you know, growing up, as a young person, I would watch reruns of Leave It to Beaver and the Brady Bunch and all these shows yeah. that were really huge in the late 60s, 70s, and early 80s that really kind of focused on family and, you know, doing the right thing and, you know, tell me about it, Beave, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And here we are, we're <laughs> in this fast-paced environment in a world filled with technology and everything needs to be done yesterday. No time to sleep. Everybody's got to work. Who's raising the kids? Nobody is. It's the TV and the internet and, and you know, the school system, which is, that's not their job. And so here we are hitting rewind. And it really has been kind of a, I hate to say a good thing, but it's really, it's kind of been a blessing to kind of reconnect with our immediate families and our friends and reaching out yeah. to, to people yeah. that we maybe haven't talked to in a while and say, Hey man, how things are going. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> you know, yeah, it's been nice. We, I kind of look at it as a, you know, a, a reset from our, from our lifestyle, you know, let's you know, this is where now kind of, we, we should be <laughs> for, uh, you know, for getting back to, you know, family time and, and, you know, enjoying each other's company and everything. You know, my daughter's turning 15 here soon. Actually, I'm sorry. My youngest daughter is going to turn 14 and my oldest daughter is going to turn 15 here pretty soon. So they're going to be, uh, you know, flying through those teenage years pretty soon. And before you know it, you know, they're going to, we're going to be empty nesters. Yeah, you got so four years, five years everything. left maximum. Yeah. Yeah, and I, exactly. And, and, and 15 years have gone by just like that. Well, you've been busy. So those five years, exactly. You know? Exactly. Now things yep. have slowed down, <laughs> and I've also seen that uh, with conversations with uh, fellow pilots on the flight deck that uh, they're like, "Oh God, it's got a two leg day today." 
seriously? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely yep. nice to catch up. Also joining us on the show today is another exceptional aviator. He is a professional CFI, double I, MEI flight instructor, a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air instructor, and a corporate pilot as well. Today, he is happily taking a break from his role as stay-at-home educator in order to join us on today's conversation. From his comfy institution of learning, from somewhere in San Diego, California, please help me in welcoming back to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Tony. It's great to be back in a few weeks. It's nice to be here. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for being here. So, Absolutely. you know, we last time we spoke, you were dealing with, you know, the airplanes uh, getting a little bit of maintenance done. I don't think I'm going to be flying much. Have you had that opportunity yet to get out there and get in the air? I have. We did have some work done on the airplane, and then we actually flew the owner again just a couple weekends ago and brought them back. So I actually had a four-day trip. There's not a lot of work involved in the four-day trip. Um, moved the airplane around, had the plane cleaned, um, detailed, actually sanitized, which is something a little bit new in this day and age, uh, but thoroughly cleaned. And as long with the exterior wash, so it was nice and nice and shiny. Oh yeah! For the first time in three months, when the uh, when the principal came back and wrote on yeah. it, and then we brought them back. So it was actually a four-day trip, but we only flew three legs, three legs, two of which were less than 200 miles long. So nice, quick flights, but, but good to keep, you know, your currency and all that, uh, related technical stuff. You know, know, we don't fly as much as, as you guys at the airlines. And so, you know, I think we had talked to Rob and I had talked about it a few episodes ago and about how he was talking about currency. And for the first time it was like, yeah, yeah, we don't really worry about that. But for the first time it, it was something that it was that was creeping up into something that you kind of had to think about. And actually we probably need to, I was actually just running the numbers just the other day. Um, we actually, I think we're going to fly again sometime soon, but both of us need to get one more landing into in the, in the next, I think three weeks, we got three weeks to get each of us to do a landing yeah. in order to keep our, to keep our currency going. So, so if you're getting really kind of, tight on that currency and you need to get it done does the owner just say okay take the airplane up go do a couple uh, full stops and and you're good to go or you're, are you kind of at the mercy i'm sure i'm sure the owner would be would be good with that um it's not something you know honestly we still got three weeks even now and i don't think it's become an issue but it's never been an issue before so it's kind of a you know unknown territory in terms of what would happen if we, but if we had to say hey we got to go up and we got to do a couple takeoffs and landings yeah. just to have have currency i don't think that that's going to be too much of an issue yeah yeah well that's great you know and i'm and i'm glad you're flying hopefully in the next few weeks you're gonna get up and uh in the air quite a bit more because i know i've been missing it and i've been flying a pretty full schedule <laughs> it doesn't seem like uh i'm really away from the game but uh yeah april was definitely nice for all of us i think just really nice to be back in the air after having pretty much the whole month of april off and and i can tell you that you know even being up in the air, flying a trip that was completely cut apart by crew scheduling because of uh, rescheduling and cancellations and rebookings of of flights. And I ended up doing an overnight in St. Louis. And it was a short overnight, but, you know, we got to the hotel and and uh, it was like 10 o'clock at night. I only had about 
11 hours of rest. So I had just enough time to maybe grab a quick bite to eat and get cleaned up and, and, you know, get ready for the next day. And we got to the hotel and they're like, um, there's no food available. We have some vending machines with crackers and things, and we have some microwavable things if you would like to purchase them. Uh, there's really nothing around because we're at the airport hotel. There's nothing around really that's open, only drive through and we don't really have a way to get you there. So unfortunately, you oh, know, man. sorry, uh, but we have beers for $5. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The essentials, uh, right? Yeah, short overnight. Sounds like pilot food to me. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't. Beer and pizza. I'm, yeah. So uh, that was kind of tough. And then the next morning, you know, I made the coffee in the room, went downstairs, and there was, I thought, well, I'll grab a quick bite to eat because coffee without breakfast is kind of tough for me. So we get to the airport, go through. There's very little people there. Not as, not as deserted as it was weeks ago, but, you know, it, very little people there. We get through security. And I'm looking around, and, and I realize there's not one food establishment open except for Starbucks. And the line for Starbucks oh, was about 30 people deep with two employees working, so it wasn't moving very fast. And I took a quick glance in the case to see, well, maybe I'll pick up something. The only thing they were serving was oatmeal. And nothing wrong with oatmeal, but I wasn't going to wait 20 minutes in line and cut my yeah. pre-flight time short so that I can get some oatmeal from, <laughs> from Starbucks. Yeah. And then you get on the plane, you think, well, you know, usually in the morning they, at Legacy Airlines, they serve us some kind of breakfast, whether that's cereal or oatmeal or, you know, a, a breakfast omelet, something. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. So I ended up, I think we had a, about an hour sit in Phoenix, which is not long at all. Um, and I was able to, to grab something there. They had two establishments open in the terminal and zero establishments open outside of security. So it was a, a chicken sandwich for me. And, and off we went uh, to San Antonio. And San Antonio is under their partial opening. Though the gym was closed, the pool was open. They limited it to 10 guests only. So 10 people could be at the pool at any given time, which made sense it wasn't a very big place um but their lounge was open for business you could dine in they had social distancing procedures in effect which meant that the tables were spread very far apart the sofa area or the the cushions that you can sit on traditionally in a lounge or bar or to socialize were all roped off or blocked off with signs indicating that they're they're not in use but you could still order at the counter. They had a, a laminated menu that you could look at. Um, and, I, and I was able to order some food and, and in a good local IPA, and I got to sit down and uh, was joined by my captain who sat across the table from me, which they were kind of a longer table than you would normally expect. Uh, so they had us sitting lengthwise, far enough apart to where we weren't as close to each other as you normally would expect in a, in a restaurant or bar. And we got to have a meal together. I mean, I sit next to this gentleman in the cockpit a few feet away, if that, uh, for the past few days. So, you know, to share a meal together was, was nice. And we kind of stopped and said, wow, this is weird. You never really think about yeah. it until it's taken yeah. away. And then when you get it back, it's like, wow, we're actually having a beer together. And I'm not sitting in my hotel room 
<laughs> what what hotel did you stay at? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it was uh, close to the, the Crown? airport. No. Crown Plaza? It wasn't the plaza, but I will tell you. Because I was there a few weeks ago, too, and it was the first day that they opened up the restaurant, and I was the only one down there, and it was awesome. I mean, it was so invigorating just to be in a restaurant in a hotel. Yeah. That was open. We stayed at the Hilton. service, you know? Yeah, the Hilton uh, San Antonio Airport, which, I mean, there's not really much going on around the hotel, but considering the situation, I mean, it was quite nice. Yeah. The service was not the normal service that you would expect. Uh, You know, there was one bartender slash everything else person working there. And, you know, there was a couple business people down there uh, having discussions and whatnot. Um, But, yeah. It was just some kind of glimpse of normal, of normalcy. So it was nice. Good to see. Yeah. Good to hear. And and so, Rob, you've been flying a little bit on the weekends. And did you say you were in uh, San Antonio last week? or? Well, uh, yeah, I was just checking my schedule here because I haven't been flying that much. So some of my uh, flying has kind of been forgotten already. Um, I, I was in San Antonio on the night of the third. Um, and that trip was literally one deadhead to San Antonio, spend the night and then work the flight back to Dallas. And then I was done. So that was a great flight. I mean, that, I mean, that was a great trip because <laughs> literally gone like 12 hours and, you know, yeah, uh, quick, quick, quick and easy. Yep. So that, that was, uh, that was a, the first trip that I had um, with an overnight with uh, the phase one reopening of the Texas area. So the governor opened up stuff in Texas and uh, the restaurant had just opened that that either that weekend or that day. Mm-hmm. So very similar to your situation, just like we talked about. It was I was the only one down there. There's nobody else around. Um, one server that served me. So reduced staff. And um, sat down, had a burger, some fries, and uh, I don't drink too much beer. I just had a soda. And uh, I was like, this is great, man. I mean, I've been missing just, you know, little things like this on trips. Everything's been closed up until now, you know, bringing your own food kind of thing. And um, since it was such a short trip, I didn't bring, 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 bring any food at all. Um, so that one overnight was a nice sit down burger dinner was great um so came home on monday on that trip i think i was home by like 9 30 in the morning and then um last weekend actually not last weekend uh the weekend before on the 9th may 9th i had a actually had a busted up trip again from training so um i was originally supposed to to fly uh, a two-day trip is supposed to go to las vegas come back to dallas and then go to the overnight in Tampa. Well, training called up and said, hey, we're going to use your Las Vegas trip as uh, IOE, as training. And uh, Hmm. so all you have to do is come in for Tampa. And so I came in for Tampa, the Tampa flight. I had to be there at 6 o'clock at night. Uh, So flew to Tampa, spent the night, and then returned Tampa back to Dallas. I was on the ground by like 1.30 in the afternoon. And so, uh, that was a great trip there. Yeah. Um, 
no, that was really uneventful. I don't remember what the loads were on those trips, but um, I, I, I think I remember seeing numbers in the, the uh, high 90s. That's good. Maybe close to 100. Um, and then, uh, so that was a, that was pretty much uneventful. Yeah. You know, everybody was, uh, wearing their masks and yeah, flight attendants were great. So it was pretty quick, pretty easy, uneventful, nothing really to share there. Just uh, nice to get out there and fly. Um, this week, uh, this past weekend, um, I did get displaced again <laughs> for IOE seems to be a common thread here. Um, so all I had to do was a Burbank turn. And then the next day I got called in to do a, um, a maintenance flight. Uh, we ferried a flight from Dallas to Tulsa ah. and then, uh, turned around, walked, walked right across the ramp, hopped into another empty 737 and ferried that airplane from Tulsa back to Dallas. So two empty flights. It was just me and the captain. It was really, really nice to just hop in the airplane, turn it on, uh, you know, start it up and uh push back quick flight i mean that plane climbed like a rocket ship it was awesome usually uh i think i talked about this before usually when you know when we hit the acceleration altitude and uh you know retract the flaps and everything like that um the plane goes the automatic uh the thrust goes into like a climb climb mode setting well because we were so light uh the, the climb thrust setting was higher than the actual takeoff setting so you experience an actual acceleration. Wow. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, increase in thrust. And so if you're, you know, mentally not ready for it, you're kind of like, whoa, did we just lose an engine? Did it just go to full power or something like that? Uh, and, and, you know, like, well, no, it's just climb mode. <laughs> so that was pretty neat. Uh, so we got up to, I, I think we got up above 21, 22,000 feet on, the, you know, the the outbound and the inbound so we got up to altitude really quick and then you know, 330 knots or so fast you know right up to the barber pole get it get there as quickly as possible of course there's not a lot of air traffic up there so clear direct to the field you know and uh, dependent descendant pilot's discretion you know so we, you know just program the uh the fms to do its uh planned descent and just let the plane do its thing which is the yeah. way the whole thing was designed you know so uh, we were we were in a north flow in Dallas, north flow in Tulsa. So, you know, took off north, landed north, straight in, uh, straight in really quick. Um, so that was neat. But uh, on the return flight, it was uh, it was kind of neat because uh, first time doing this for for the company, um, we had to uh, park the airplane at the maintenance hangar, um, in, in Dallas. Mm. And for some reason, uh, and I think it had to do with our flight number. Uh, ATC knew that we were going there. So they actually gave us uh, a reroute in route with a new arrival into Dallas, which put us on the west side, North Flow. Yeah. And yeah, we're, right when we checked in with the tower, they're like, hey, you guys parking at the maintenance hangar? We're like, yes, sir, west side. And they're like, okay, clear to land, left turn off, contact ground. I don't even contact ground, just, you know, taxi your, your discretion yeah. to the hangar. We're like, Okay. Was your flight number uh, <laughs> different than usual on that uh, maintenance flight? It was. Yeah. It was. It started with a nine. Yeah. I think it was a 99 or 98 number. 9,800 usually, so, yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned, yeah. thank you for, for that story because you've mentioned a couple things that I don't think we've ever really talked about 
in the past on Squawk Ident, and let's go ahead and right. dive into yeah. it. So you mentioned the reduced takeoff. So for those yep. listeners that may not be in the industry or they're still working in GA and haven't got into, you know, a jet uh, takeoff settings and, and FADEX and things like that. So when you are a fully loaded aircraft, the aircraft, you know, it's not like a, a piston powered airplane where you just go, you know, mixtures, uh, props, and, you know, throttles full forward. Let's just go maximum power, right? Uh, we have jet engines and we don't, if we don't have to run them at max power, it significantly reduces wear and tear on the engine to take off at a reduced thrust setting. So these calculations are performed usually either through dispatch, then when they calculate your anticipated takeoff weight, uh, what they do is they take the zero fuel weight of the aircraft, that's the weight of the aircraft with all the passengers and cargo and everything on there with no fuel on. Then they figure out how much fuel you need to get your destination legally. Uh, and then they take out, they subtract your taxi out fuel time. Uh, so if it takes you 20 minutes on, on estimation to go from the gate to the threshold of the runway, it's a 20 minute taxi. JFK, I've seen them as long as 45 minutes. On average, they're about five to 10 minutes, especially at an outstation to get you from the gate to the threshold of the runway. So they subtract that fuel. It's very accurate. They calculate what your anticipated takeoff fuel is going to be, the weight of the aircraft at takeoff, and they go, okay, if the aircraft weighs this much at takeoff, you don't need 100%, 90%, sometimes not even 85% power. I mean, you could be at a drastically lower power setting for takeoff. And these are all calculations that are performed usually through dispatch performance, tech ops, what, what have you. The numbers are run in a computer, and then they give you a preliminary assessment of the maximum weight that you can be at to take off on that runway for runway limits, for climb limits, or for uh, performance limits, or even landing limits. Um, so maybe you're too heavy when you land, so you can't take all the fuel that you would like to take, so you might have to take a little less fuel and plan accordingly. So you were taking off on an empty airplane. So when you leveled off, you know, theoretically, you're kind of bringing the nose over after you've made that requirement, the restriction of, you know, clearing an obstacle at the end of the runway, you know, however many feet it is, I forget the, the exact verbiage yeah, of that. Right. But there's a calculation that the FAA has set in place. Roger's is telling me, is it seven, 800? 35 feet. 35 feet over the end 35 of the end threshold. Yeah, so there you go. So as long as you can make these climb gradients, climb restrictions, then you can go usually at acceleration altitude, normally about 1,000 feet over the ground, depending on the airport right. and the terrain around there. You start to nose the aircraft over, and you go from the takeoff thrust setting to the climb thrust setting. And in your case, the climb thrust setting was greater than the takeoff thrust setting was. and you get a little bit of a boost in the air yeah uh, close to the ground yep. so that's just a cool super uber cool thing for us uh, aviation yeah. geeks to kind of hear and yeah it's pretty neat so just real quick then let's let's talk maybe we can dive into a little bit deeper on that real quick and roger chime in with your uh with your aircraft performance stuff too like the uh 737 has 22 four thrust ratings oh. um, for takeoff and then we can further reduce those four thrust ratings even further with uh, with temperatures so 
ours is uh, starts off with 22,000 pound thrust rating, a 24,000 pound, 26,000 pound, and a 27,000 pound thrust rating. So 27 is our maximum. Um, and then we can reduce those each, each one of those thrust ratings with a temperature even more. So that's what we usually do. What's the, what's the Airbus? How's the Airbus do? They have like, so like the Embraer where they have TO, TO1 kind of thing. Exactly. Airbus logic. Um, it's a lot more, I'd say calculated for you. So what, when you enter into your takeoff performance page in the, uh, in the FMS system, uh, in the FMGC, um, so you put in what your zero fuel weight is. You put in the outside air temperature. It does a couple calculations. It then grabs the numbers that that dispatcher calculated for you dependent upon that runway. It uploads that to your takeoff performance page. It gives you the V-speeds, and it gives you either TO uh, TOGA takeoff, which would be maximum power takeoff, depending on the variant of engine and the variant of aircraft that you're flying, whether that's a 319, a 320, 321, 321 with either the IAE engines or 321 with the CFM engines or the 321 with the NEO, the new engine model there. Um, so dependent on that information, you can either take off with TOGA thrust with whatever percentage of N1 that's going to give you, or you can take off with what they call flex thrust. And the flex thrust, what it does is you put in a temperature so let's say the temperature you put in there is 64 degrees uh, of temperature. So that engine will take off at a reduced power setting as if the outside air temperature was at 64 degrees. Okay, right. so which yeah. is well above. So if it's that hot, kind of like in GA, when you have to figure out what your... Um, Density altitude. Density, thank you. When you have to kind of like yeah. a GA when you have to figure out your density yeah. altitude. It's it's the same exact concept. So the engine will produce a reduced power setting as if the outside air temperature was that, whatever you put in there. Right. Exactly. Sometimes it's yeah. kind of low, it's like 35 degrees, 30 right. whatever, centigrade, whatever. Um, and sometimes it's much higher. So yeah. It, it all just depends on what that particular engine manufacturer says that 100% at standard temperature for that engine power setting is versus how much can we reduce it. So they're yeah, all in the interest of conserving gas, conserving and the this, engine uh, and, and engine and gas. Uh, yeah, so engine life. A wear cycle. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yep. Roger, what, what's your airplane do? Magic. Nice. I like that. So, I mean, there's kind of, obviously we don't have dispatch or anything, so we don't have numbers that are calculated for us. However, the airplanes, I'd have to go back for the older ones, but the ones that uh -oh. fly now, they, um, they do everything for you. Specifically, when we're talking about the, the 7X, um, much like you guys, we have an entire flight management system, and it asks for all kinds of information. And then once that's all plugged in, it will allow you to compute it and it populates everything for you. It'll calculate your N1 for takeoff settings, uh, basically giving you the minimum amount of thrust you need in order to, to meet performance specifications. I'm not going to lie what exactly the different modes are. I, I don't even remember actually even, I don't remember forgetting it. I'm not sure yeah. that that was something yeah. that we actually ever covered. 
you plug this into um, the computer. I mean, we basically have a mouse. Um, we, we fly the, the airplane with a mouse and a joystick and we plug everything in, it spits it out and we have a detent. Um, and actually the 7X actually isn't even, is all the way forward. There isn't an extra, you know, engine failure. Um, it, cause it will actually kick you into the higher, if in case you had an engine failure, it'll kick into the higher thrust rating for you. Right. Um, so you just push, you push the uh, thrust levers all the way forward and you let it do nice. its thing. And so it sounds like you, you have get, like a, a electronic version of the QR8, uh, um, not the QRH, uh, um, uh, performance, uh, yeah, we actually, we call it QRH yeah, performance manual or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so everything version, we have the entire the performance is loaded on all those parameters are loaded within within the computers the the and then that hundreds spits of out computers. your thrust ratings and v speeds and flaps and it and populates it for you on nice. on the pf on the pf on both pilots pfds yeah and you, there's very and this was kind of one of those things was to make it as pilot friendly as possible which is one which is good and you and you know you could spend an entire episode, you know, arguing on how it's bad also, but, um, but yeah, we just, we push those thrust levers all the way forward. And then when we get up to you guys, we're talking about, you know, acceleration height or takeoff safety altitude or different, you know, um, ways of saying the same thing. Segment, third segment, climb, fourth. So once you basically get to your fourth segment after your fourth segment climb, you can put it in and you go in into any other mode other than takeoff it will take you out of um, takeoff mode and put you in the climb mode depending on exactly what you've what you've selected but um everything is very automated yeah nice it, we plug it in it spits it back out we have all the v the v speeds populated on the pfd right there for us as well as the n1 the n1 bug and number which then is part of power set that's supposed to be you know one of those things you verify yeah Cool. It really is a testament to how far we've come because even even back in our you know regional days, all three of us have flown the Embraer 145, and it was the same thing there. The FADEC would calculate as long as you are, you know, if you were in the reduced uh, the Alt TO one takeoff or Alt TO reduced uh, setting for takeoff, if the FADEC calculated I don't know how many milliseconds uh, difference between the two engines, that would indicate that you had an engine failure, the FADEC would automatically put you in a TO or, or TO reserve yeah. or, or whatever, reserve, you know, whatever yeah. aircraft you were flying, which model FADEC you had. So the, the aircraft did, like Roger's aircraft is doing that he's currently flying, the aircraft did, did everything for you. But as a kind of memory item, we were always trained, even though you were in the, the reduced power setting detent, you always push it forward. Even though you technically Extras, technically yeah. didn't have to do that because the FADEC should do it for you. At, on the Airbus, at least at Legacy Airlines, they've taught us a couple things with the go-around procedures. On a normal go-around, not a single engine, but a normal go-around, if you go into go-around, what triggers the not only the navigation system, but also the engine parameters, the climb settings with auto thrust and whatnot, is you push it into the the toga detent, the takeoff and go around detent, then the navigation will automatically segment everything into the missed approach procedure that you have programmed in the flight uh, guidance computer. Also, you'll have your maximum thrust. Now, on the Airbus, they teach us that you can, at the option of the pilot or the captain or the pilot flying, however, however you want to divvy it up, um, you can do what they call a soft go around. 
So you put it in the detent, that triggers the navigation, that trigger, triggers the max thrust and the profile for a go around. You run through your procedures, you know, all right, go around toga, go around flaps, positive eight, gear up, gear up, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then while that's happening, the pilot flying can go toga and then immediately back to the climb detent. That way, the engine's not at 100 or more percent and one for a very long period of time. Because if you're in the air, you haven't touched down, and terrain's not an issue, weather's not an issue, performance of the engines are not an issue, why not perform a soft go-around? So yep. there are techniques yeah. that we're using. I don't know, is it the same on the 7.3 that you do a soft go-around technique? So we have a very similar, um, uh, you know, operation yeah we when we select go around on the toga buttons one click will give us the uh soft go around mode in other words just a regular go around thrust thrust setting and it'll also sequence into our missed approach and if we do have an engine failure um it'll bring up it'll it'll bring up the engine failure procedure on the navigation which you actually oh. have to activate uh -huh. so that's kind of nice um, and if you click the, to the go around buttons twice, it'll give you max go around. So if you're in one of those high density altitude, high altitude airports, you'll get your max uh, thrust there. So, yeah. so your go around yeah. buttons are actually on your thrust lever quadrant on the sides, correct? correct. So when you do yeah. a go around, uh, 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 yeah, on the, yeah, it's actually, it's actually in the front in the front of, yep. Okay. Hold on, let me make sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's in front of the throttle quadrant. Getting a little uh, dyslexic learning here from all the other airplanes. But yeah, it's in the front of the throttle quadrant. Okay. So right in front of the actual knobs on top of the throttle, mm -hmm. in front, they're in front. So you can press either one, and they both work the same way. Okay. The, uh, the, I was thinking the auto throttle disconnects are on, on the, the sides. Side. Okay, yeah. The yeah. Airbus, that we have Whereas auto like throttle the, disconnect on the sides. On the we sides, don't have a button yeah. in the front. Right, but on the 145, they're on the sides. Right, right. So there's right. a there was a lot of negative transfer of learning there at one time. Yes. So you know, go around, click, click, and the throttle would kick off, and you're like pulling back, hell? nothing's <laughs> happening, speeds bleeding stall, off. You're like, stall, why is this thing not sequencing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> push the thing all the way forward, and then it come all. You know, nothing would happen. You're like, oh. I don't know of anyone anyway. that is transitioning from either GA to a to a <laughs> turboprop or a jet on a regional, or anyone also going from you know a regional environment into a legacy environment or a major airline environment with a, a you know a, either a heavy aircraft or you know a, a narrow body aircraft that doesn't have a few months of those kind of anxiety ridden oh, yeah. dreams where they can hear all of the uh, alarms and bells and whistles on that yeah. new aircraft that they're running up pull up pull up terrain terrain traffic yeah. traffic well I, I think i shared it with you guys a couple segments ago and it, since we're already talking about it, it's kind of funny just to bring it back up. You know, so when I was the uh, Czech Airman on the 175, I had a student that flew um, legacies during, in corporate. So it's basically the 145, you know, toga buttons on the throttles were, you know, on the side. Mm -hmm. Well, on the, uh, on the 175, that is the auto throttle disconnect. Ah. <laughs> and the go around buttons are actually behind the thrust level, thrust levers. So if you want to go around, you just hit the little button behind it and the thrust levers would auto throttle would go up. Well, we actually had a, uh, I was training the student 
and um, or they were my student, Iowa student. Sure. They were already been trained. <laughs> but anyway, we had a go around scenario. And so we made the call out. All right, let's go around. All right, go around. Well, instead of selecting the go around buttons, they selected the auto throttle disconnects. So, <laughs> you know, the throttles stayed right where they were. And there was yelling throttle, throttle, throttle. And I looked over, I'm like, you know, I'm getting ready. I just wanted to see what would happen. You know, let's see if they can recover. It's not my aircraft yet. You know, we haven't lost any, much airspeed, but they're pitching for, you know, the 10 degrees, you know, and now I start to see the airspeed bleed off. I'm like, all right, hey man, you got to hit the go around buttons, you know, and, and right now, you know, they're shell shocked. They're like, what's going on? Why is this thing not doing anything? And then I'm like, all right, my aircraft. So then yeah, I just shove it full forward, hit the go around buttons. Yeah. And then I didn't hit the throttle buttons yet because I wanted them to, you know, audibly and acknowledge what that, you know, that warning was, that audible warning yeah. was so that they could learn from it. And I'll just let it go, you know, throttle, throttle. I'm like, you hear that? And he's like, yeah, throttle. And he's like, oh, did I just hit the throttle, the throttle disconnect? Yes, you did. Yeah. That's why nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> A classic example of the law of primacy ladies and gentlemen so the yeah, law of primacy exactly. states that what you learn first will be the go-to reaction muscle memory that you will enable under a stressful workload because that's the first thing that you've learned and when you transition from one aircraft to another one checklist to another you'll find yourself when you're tired when you're under a tremendous amount of stress which us aviators are immune to, right? Uh, then, <laughs> then you know you will go to the first thing you learned, the law of primacy. That's why you don't have to be perfect from the get-go, but it's always important to get those good habits, get those uh, you know positive learning right away at the beginning. Learn it right the first time, because even though you can adjust and learn the procedure later on down the road which to a certain degree is a normal way of learning, you, you are always going to go to that law of primacy subconsciously in a subliminal way. And that's exactly what you're describing, is that your, your student on IOE, which was coming out to the line, who had already been typed in the aircraft, had positively shown that they could you know, navigate the aircraft. How many go-rounds do you do in the simulator? I mean, come on. But in the real-life environment, you got millions of more of uh, data points yeah. that are coming at you uh, of what's going on in your environment. So the stress level is much higher in real life than in the simulator. And that law of primacy kicked in from the previous aircraft that they flew. So that's a great story and, and a great example. Yep. So thank you. So that that's my WTF story, by the way, for the end of the show. <laughs> WTF. <laughs> yes. So uh, speaking of WTF, you know, a lot of these airports that we're going to, that uh, you know, Rob and I are going out. Rob's out of a uh, DFW. I'm going in and out of uh, Los Angeles, and coming in through the employee portal, uh, you know, you have to swipe your what they call a CIDA badge or the airport identification badge, which is different than a company ID, and you get uh, access to park in employee parking lots and ramp areas that normally most pilots or employees don't have access to. So because that's your home base and you've taken the course and you've been security background checked through the authority there. Um, but they're having uh, effective, about a couple weeks ago, temperature checks. Not random, 100% temperature checks. They've, they've adjusted where the employee drop-off is. The, there, there are people there that are scanning your temperature with one of those infrared uh, thermometers which are in 
extremely high demand right now as well. And uh, you know, you go through the portal. Now, what I find a little bit interesting is all airport employees and flight attendants have to have a 100% scan of their temperature as they enter the airport. And if their temperature is above 100.1, they are then subject to further screening. And we've talked about this a little bit on the show previously. But pilots, it's optional, right? And I don't necessarily agree with this. Why am I optional and they're not? Is it because they're closer in contact with the public than I am because I'm in the flight deck and you know I, I can maintain my social distancing while I'm in the terminal, but I'm not really in the back of the airplane. Is that why? I, I don't know. But I've always volunteered. You know, go in, they beep, beep, good to go, Cap. Thanks. See ya. Uh, and now, just yesterday, Legacy Airlines announced that they're going to be doing these temperature checks through the KCM portals at airports in Phoenix and in Philadelphia. And again, if you have over 100, I believe it's 101 or 104, 100.4, if you have more than 100.4, you will then be subject to additional screening where they're going to ask you, you know, they're going to give you some time to kind of cool down in case you were running from the bus or whatever um, and see if if the reading was accurate or not. And they're going to hit you again with this temperature check. So there's a lot more going on. And this might be something that's going to last for a long time. And I could totally see this going on for years where we're going to have these temperature checks. Again, in these scenarios, it's optional for the pilots. So what do you think, guys? Should pilots have to do this temperature check? And is it a good thing? What do you think? So so when you're talking about them taking checks at the KCM points in, in Phoenix and Philly, I think you had said that's 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 an optional thing for the pilots and they're checking all the flight attendants. Is that for all the airlines or is that specific to, to legacy airlines? Uh, that's a good question uh, because it is- I a, believe that's just to the company. Just our company. It is a KCM yeah. checkpoint and it is being conducted by, that's what it, actually, no, I would say there must be a legacy airlines employee sitting at that KCM checkpoint because- it says, effective immediately, Legacy Airlines will begin taking temperatures of all flight attendants entering the airport through the Philly and Phoenix KCM access points. Temperature checks for Legacy pilots are on a voluntary basis, but only at Philly and Phoenix. So here's what I understand about that. So it's actually a company um, policy that they're, or procedure that they're implementing right there. In, Dow- in Dallas, they actually have a uh, you know portable table set up outside of KCM, mm. and they they're manned with uh, in-flight personnel. And as you come into work, so that uh, and you're entering through that particular KCM, the flight attendants have to go up there and get their temperatures checked and everything like that. So it's not being administered by the TSA, um, at least. Uh, Everywhere that I've seen it, it's, I mean, I haven't really gone that would be hard very to, many places. Yeah, hard I don't think it's TSA's TSA job to do be, that. And they would probably have a lot of pushback from that. But I think yeah. going back to your original question, like, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the pilots or able to exempt themselves, but I'm sure that you're 100% right that in the end, we're supposed to all be socially, socially distancing ourselves within the terminal. And once you get on the aircraft, you are by definition going to be socially distanced um, just be by the, by, 
you know, pro- lack of proximity and the flight deck door. Whereas yeah. the the empl- the airport employees and the flight attendants are going to be actually not be, not being able to to distance themselves, and so I think that that's why they're forcing that width on them. Now, whether that's the right thing to do or not, well, you can you can argue one way or the other, I suppose. But I, I'm guessing that they're trying to come up with a little bit of a um you know how, how can we not infringe on everybody's rights but try and do what we think is the right thing to make the passengers feel yeah. better as much as possible and the people that are in contact with the passengers we're going to make them do these temp- temperature checks because i think it all goes back to optics and in the media yeah, if you sure, can yeah. if you can portray yourself in the media here's all the things that we're doing because this is not what almost every company on the planet's doing right now here's what we're doing to protect you our customer please come back and I think that the pilots are probably the the thing that people are most they're less likely to run into to the pilots themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I, I mean, I'm probably going way out on a limb by saying this too. And and don't don't take it the wrong way. I just think from my experience in the industry, it seems like you know the flight attendants when it comes and I hate to bring it up, pay purposes, calling in sick or you know attendance record they have a little more uh you know i, I don't know they seem to be ha- have a little more they get a little more trouble than than the pilots do yeah well, they get and the strikes good against reason. them points some airlines exactly. are doing points you know you get three points exactly. out or whatever it is and exactly. and not only that you know when when you're thinking about what i've heard is well i can't yeah. call in sick i don't have any sick pay or sick time i, I, right. I can't exactly. i can't call in sick and they're uh, like sitting there sneezing coughing this is you know much prior to our current situation globally here. But, you know, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation and I witnessed a captain uh, or somebody from uh, the, the in-flight uh, manager come in, remove a flight attendant from yeah. the aircraft just prior to boarding yeah. because they're like, no, you, you can't continue. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're exactly. not feeling well. You're, you're taking medication that really you shouldn't be taking and flying at the same time. And 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 they're like, yeah. oh man, you know, really? And not to say it's a problem, but you know, it's it's definitely something that happens. And you know, and on the other side of the token, you know, there are obviously some pilots that do that, even though we know by law, by the FARs, you're not supposed to, you know, come in and fly when you're sick. But right. um, anyway, so it goes both ways, you know. But you know, one of the things I did, we we got from our our Dallas um, team. Um, company about the face coverings mm-hmm. uh speaking about all this stuff uh, actually you know we're not actually talking about face coverings yet but maybe i'll bring it up next time when, when we get into it but oh, we'll be talking I'll, a little I'll bit about, about that here in just a moment with the uh, cockpit yeah, pushback yeah 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 so and, and the other thing i wanted to mention before we do move on to that is uh on this trip that i did uh, i just got back from yesterday uh it started out on day one la to cabo cabo to la and then la to um, St. Louis. That, that was the trip. We depart out of Los Angeles. Early morning. It's a beautiful morning. It was drizzling. It was beautiful marine layer coming in. Beautiful day to fly. Minimal people at the airport, but definitely way more people than I was used to seeing. And it was really a very rewarding thing to see that people are starting to fly again. Now, there's a debate that we can get into and have an entire other show about this, about, you know, should we really be flying if it's not absolutely essential? Unless you're an essential employee 
or someone visiting to go see a sick relative that might be the last time you see them in life. I mean, that is what the mass media would like us to believe, that those are the only people that should be flying right now. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case. People need to run businesses. They need to check on you know, family, property. And, and for the most part, who's on vacation? No one really. But people are moving about the country. It is to the very core of who we are as human beings. We are very much mobile. And, and it's always been the case as far back as, a, you know, as you can think of as the dawn of, of man. So we've always been travelers. We've always done that. And it's so great to see it. And the TSA numbers that have been published, every day the TSA publishes the number of people that go through their virtual turnstiles, okay, through their checkpoints. And I was taking a look at this because I saw a report recently that shows a 5% uptick from week to week since this, uh, what they call the zero line or the bottom line, where we had empty airports, as we were talking about weeks ago. And according to the TSA.gov, back in uh, March 1st, okay, this is way before any of this was hitting the United States, they had 2,280,000 passengers go through TSA checkpoints on March 1st in one day. In 2019, they had 2,300,000. So the numbers were right there. I mean, there were within, within 20,000 people. As this pandemic news started to come out, by March 12th, they saw a pretty good reduction in the flying already. On March 12th of 2020, 1,788,000 passengers went through TSA turnstiles versus 2019, where they had 2,500,000. So a very big reduction. As the time went on, these numbers got very, very low. We're looking at the 30th of March, 154,000 passengers versus 2019, 2,300,000 wow. passengers. So Huge. that 96% decrease in flying started on April 1st and continued on with a very low number. And I don't know if it's the lowest of it all, but from what I'm looking at, April 14th, 87,000 passengers flew in the United States through TSA checkpoints versus 2,200,000 in 2019. And we've seen a steady but slow increase. The numbers got back up starting around the 23rd of April at 111,000 passengers. And it continues to grow on the 8th of May. 215,000 passengers, and yesterday, the 20th, 230,000 passengers. So there's a graph that's out there floating around showing a steady increase. Well, who knows how accurate it is? We don't have enough data points to, to kind of say, this is it. This is, we're on the climb, we're on the mend. But we still see about 88% capacity, uh, or 88% loss of capacity through these TSA numbers. And this is not any specific airline. This is just in the United States, domestic travel passing through, through TSA, because international travel right now is, is still at a standstill. So what does this mean? Now, on that Cabo, I had zero. Zero people go from LA to Cabo. And then we did Cabo, actually it was Cabo to Phoenix, 
It was the return. We didn't go back to LA. And we had seven. Wow. You know? Yeah. Then Phoenix to Phoenix to St. Louis, we had, I believe it was 35. So it's still, we're talking <laughs> social distancing, not a problem. Okay. Yeah. But we're also seeing particular flights, especially into our main hubs, that are at about 80 to 85% capacity, which is the maximum capacity that Legacy Airlines has vowed to have on their aircraft. Most of our listeners watch the media and have heard them say that at particular airlines out there on the system, they're going to sell less than 50% of the center seats. We're going to make sure that center seats are empty to practice social distancing throughout our flights so that people can feel confident and knowing that we're doing everything we can to provide a safe environment for them. Well, let's just do some quick math here. If 50% of an average aircraft's middle seats remain empty and you average six seats per row, three aside, depending on the airplane, I, know, I understand that there are other aircraft that are more and less, but on average, and on average, you say about 26 to 30 rows, and if half of those middle seats, which there's two middle seats per row, you're still looking at 85% capacity. So your flight could be 85% full with half of those middle seats taken on your next flight. This is great from an aviator's perspective because we get paid when the airline does well and we want the airline to do well. We've seen reports and read reports that 70% load factors are kind of the ground zero where the company can actually make money instead of losing money per flight. We're nowhere near that, but we're, we're hovering somewhere around 33% from, the, from whatever report I read last night, uh, 33% load capacity to normal to what it was in 2019. And it might take a long time to get back to those numbers. So this is, a, this is a lot to take in. And these numbers, as any statistician would tell you, can be argued either way. How long will it take? No one can tell you. CNN doesn't know. Fox doesn't know. MSNBC doesn't. Nobody knows. Because we, don't, we can't tell the future. We don't have that. But we do know that things are slowly moving forward. Yeah, I think as the uh, country opens up, the economy opens up, I think we're going to see things start to gradually, slowly return back to, uh, well, not to normals, but the new normal. So whatever that is, um, I think uh, also along those lines, the, uh, I think, Roger, you mentioned this last time that, um, you know, with the way things have been locked down and everything, we've had to reinvent the way we've done business, uh, a lot of uh, telecommuting and stuff like that. And I, and I think that's probably going to be very popular um, also as things turn back to the new normal. So, you know, airlines, will they come, come go, be back to where they were uh, this time last year? I think they will be, not anytime soon. You know, I think it's going to take a long time for it to get back there. Uh, and obviously, this is all just personal, you know, speculation and stuff like that. Where will we be this time next year? Who knows? But personally, guessing, I don't know. I'd love to see it at 100, 110% of where we were last year. That ain't going to happen. Yeah, no. I think maybe if, we're, if we get to 75%, I think we've, we've really done well, you know, with, with this whole turnaround. And, you know, who knows if there, what, what's going to happen is if there's a second wave, you know, the, how's that going to affect? I mean, what are they going to do? They meaning, you know, the government, the airlines and management, 
who knows how they're going to handle it. I don't think they're going to shut everything down again. That's one thing I don't think that's uh, that's going to happen. I think they're going to probably you know learn uh, use the lessons that they learned uh, through this whole phase and um, try to come up with a cl- more clever way to handle it. So yeah. anyway, that's just my two cents. NPR this morning, I was listening to their morning edition and they were speaking about their Harvard University um, study yesterday that was published indicated that if we would have locked down the country uh, two weeks prior, 35,000 lives could have been saved. How they came up mathematically with this number, whatever formula that they used, I don't know. Uh, that's a great thing to hear. Um, but also, I think there's really no way to kind of put a number on it. Sure, we could have reacted earlier, um, saved a lot of lives, but maybe even saved the economy a little bit from this by opening it up earlier as well. I mean, you can argue either way, but really we don't know. Hopefully, you know, the continued growth of people getting jobs back will equate to a lot. And the airline really is a mirror image of how well the economy is doing because airlines are really the lifeblood of our economy. People going business meetings are really our primary business. People that are traveling from point A to point B to do business. The average American household travels once a year on an airplane, usually on a family vacation or the holidays. So next year, the holidays, they're going to be a huge turning point to see if we're going to be bouncing back as quickly and how fast we're going to be bouncing back. Because if the average consumer is not working and they're going through their stockpile of money right now to pay for food and rent and and whatnot, if they don't have the money next year, this could be an issue. More in a bit. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsors. But moving on, I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on with our flight releases. And I know that at the airline environment, we have a dispatcher that about an hour prior to the flight will send you a flight release via your electronic device. Uh, we've become a paperless uh, operation over at Legacy Airlines, so there's no you know, 15 to 30-page to documentation that we have to print out on old dot matrix printers that take 20 minutes to do, and then the printer gets jammed, and then you curse at the printer at the gate and those days are long gone but uh yeah but so we get sent these documents and at the bottom of the flight plan portion of the flight release we have appended messages that basically there's something that we need to get out right now information we need you to follow these procedures and until we can publish these new procedures in our, our permanent record of company operations manuals uh, you have to abide by them. And so there's six new appended messages tacked onto our flight releases or flight bulletins or flight releases. And one of them had me laughing. Six of them are solely related to the COVID pandemic. And one of them that they felt that they had to type in there in every flight as the captain signs for the release and the FO signs fit for duty is a, a message saying, 
donning the oxygen mask. If wearing a face covering to combat the exposure to COVID-19, I have an issue with the way they wrote that, to ensure an acceptable seal between the pilot's face and the mask, pilots should pull down the face covering while donning the oxygen mask. Okay, so first off, for those pilots that elect to wear the face mask in the cockpit, good for you. I support you. That's great. I personally, unless I feel like the guy next to me is not looking too hot, and that's a whole other can of worms. But I mean, I, I can't talk to ATC clearly. I I have a hard time hearing what my captain's telling me. Um, so I elect not to wear it in the flight deck. At least as of this point, that's what I've done. And ninety nine point nine percent of the pilots out there, from what I understand, are not wearing it on the flight deck. We even have messages indicating that the captain should indicate to the number one flight attendant prior to the flight in their pre-flight briefing that we are not required to wear them in the flight deck. It is a choice, and we may not be wearing them when they come in to do a bathroom break, physiological break in flight, or just before we push off the gate or whatnot. Um, Because we've had flight attendants that have written up pilots well, I have to wear my mask and they're not wearing it. And and we've had pro standards call quite a few pilots. I was talking to my captain just yesterday. And he says, yep, <laughs> I got a phone call. And so now there's a another message there, one of those messages. But this message, so you, we can't have beards because that doesn't create a seal. And all that. But if we wear a surgical mask or a neoprene mask or whatever, charcoal mask, whatever you're wearing, N95 mask in the in the flight deck, which I don't know anybody that does. And now you have to don a, Oxygen mask, it has to be quick donning because, you know, loss of rapid depressurization. Just a reminder, you got to take the mask off <laughs> before you put the... Really, folks, do we have to have this in writing? I wow. guess we have to have it in writing. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's kind of a... You know, the, the blue book is kind of written blood. You know, that's what they used to say at, at the uh, Sandpiper, right? Yeah. Somebody, somebody did something stupid, so we have to put it in writing so that everybody else doesn't do something stupid. And I think this is kind of the same thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> okay, man, we all know that this mask was not designed to be worn with a COVID-19 mask under it. So take it off before you put it on. But, and then he's probably going to say, well, what if the oxygen mask is, you know, contaminated with COVID-19? Well, I'd rather get COVID-19 and, you know, live it out or recover from it on the ground rather than passing out, crashing the airplane and, yeah. you know, becoming a headline for CNN and the ha- who knows how they'd spin that story, you know. COVID-19 so. takes down aircraft. <laughs> exactly. Roger, are you wearing all, a mask? All 100, yeah, all 188 people died of COVID-19 because the pilot got it through his oxygen mask. And although it took three days for him to realize, yeah, sure. The numbers just bumped, <laughs> just spiked. Oh my and Roger, what are, you, what are you guys right. doing on your flight deck? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I mean, this... <laughs> I love it. We're, we're, we're doing, we're doing nothing. And in the end, especially, you know, for all pilots and we're a little bit different because it's always the same two people. Well, 95% of the same, uh, 95% of the time it's, it's us too. Um, we, you know, Rob, you were talking about it. We ate together for the first time on the, on the trip that I did uh, a week and a half ago. Um, the flight deck is going to be the least of our concerns. 
And then more from a, a realistic standpoint that you guys were just kind of touching on, I've been fortunate enough that I've never had an explosive decompression. But if you're coming down to that point and now you also have to, t- I mean, it's going to be hard enough. I can only imagine because I haven't experienced it. The mayhem that is going to be going on in that kind of, in that kind of scenario. I and mean, we always, we, had, we talked about the time of useful consciousness for a, a 21-year-old naval aviator and how ridiculous those numbers go as, as you get up in altitude, yeah. especially at the altitudes that we fly at, which are, are typically a little bit higher than, than even where you guys are at. Yeah. Or, I mean, we're in the low 40s. That's our, that's our typical. And so you've got a time of useful consciousness in, in a matter of probably maybe 10 seconds. And now you have to worry about this, this stupid, pointless mask. I mean, and I hate to put it like that, but in the end, I mean, it's a stupid and pointless mask when you are wearing it up on the flight deck. That is a far cry from having passengers and flight attendants. I make no mistake. That right. This is a completely 180 degree polar totally opposite comparison here. Yep. Yeah. But ha- but wearing a mask on the flight deck is is dumb. It's like wearing a mask in uh, your car frankly. when you're driving by yourself down the freeway and you see people wearing oh, a mask. Oh, thank you. Again, it, and, thank you know, you. I don't know if that's necessarily dumb. It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. But when you're dumb, on yeah. a flight deck, it's it borderline dumb. Well, we because we you call are, it uh, safety issues. A, yeah, safety issues. And I, I'm just going to call. I'm going to put it bluntly. It's just, it's it's foolish because what you know in that explosive decompression, as small of a, of a probability that is, you, now you've got a mask on, and I I believe that your your odds of success are at least cut in half. You know, back to another statistic, and I just made that one up. But I you know. I think it's just kind of very unnecessary, yeah. borderline dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a whole bunch of scenarios that can be thrown out there, but just take, for instance, you know, that Southwest Air, uh, wait. Yeah. It was Southwest Airlines over Yuma. Yuma. Right. Where they had the half of the passengers sucked out. So, I mean, that was a pretty serious incident. And, and it, I mean, I haven't really done very much thought about, um, had a lot of thought about it. But, you know, they're pretty much having three or four emergencies all coupled into one. And one of them, you know, also included an aircraft handling issue. You know, is the aircraft, you know, handling characteristics changed Um, in addition to the engine failure, the engine, you know, almost separation, vibration, fire, whatever, explosive decompression. You got a medical emergency, everything going on in the back, structural integrity. You know, so you almost need every hands available up in that cockpit to maintain control of the aircraft. And now you got to worry about quick donning while taking off a mask. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's it, there's an extra step put in there that is unnecessary in my mind. Yeah. And, and that's why we yeah. have this optional wearing the mask in the cockpit. And, and, and the unions out there are raising these safety issues. That's why. At least for legacy airlines, and I don't, I'm not, I can't speak for any other airline out there, but I think they all pretty much are running around the same issue: is that it's an optional thing if someone wants to do it, but it creates a problem. And you know, we're gonna talk a little bit about now in this WTF segment, mask shaming. WTF. And I was, I witnessed this, had no idea this was going on, and I witnessed this this week, mask shaming, and. On that very first leg, we had an opportunity before we got to the airplane a little early. We had the opportunity to have a chat with the flight attendant, our number one flight attendant. 
And she told me a great story that left both the captain and I uh, awestruck. So, and she tells it as she was flying a very long day. It was like nine hours of flight time. It was a full like 14 hour, 15 hour duty day, whatever her limit was for flying. And she was on the last leg and they were, they had like uh, a leg to go to the overnight. And then I think they were going to go on to do even one more. It was like a short hop or something. And she was legal for it. And she was like, oh, you know, I've been wearing this mask all day in the galley here. So she pulls the mask down from her nose to cover her mouth, but not her nose so that she can just take in some, get some oxygen to the brain because there is a increased portion of CO2 that uh, you're inhaling because it's staying in the mask a little bit. So there's a little less oxygen concentration when you're wearing the mask versus when you're not wearing the mask. You know, obviously there's, there's something going on there. So she, she lowered it to breathe through her nose and one of the other flight attendants came up from the back and said, you're not wearing your mask properly. She says, I know. I said, I've been wearing this thing for a long time. I want to just drop it for a while and get a breath. I'm not near anybody. So she's, she's like, but, but you're, you know, you might get COVID-19. And she says, listen, my husband is a, uh, at risk. He's got diabetes and he's taking his medication. So he's at risk. I, I know that the mask that I wear is so that I protect others from getting COVID if I have asymptomatic contagiousness, okay, which I do not, okay? I, I, but if I did, nobody would know. I wouldn't know. If I'm asymptomatic and I don't have a fever, I don't have a cough, I don't have any symptoms, but I have it, no one would know. That's why I wear the mask. And she was trying to educate the other flight attendant that you wear the mask to protect those around you. You're not wearing it to protect yourself necessarily. Because, I mean, as we know, as we've watched this, hundreds and thousands of reports, you know, you can get it through your eyes, through your touch, through, you know, whatever. So about 30 minutes into the flight, she gets a call from the flight deck, and it's the captain. And the captain says, listen, I, I, the other three flight attendants have talked to me, and they're worried that you're not wearing your mask properly. They feel that you're asymptomatic because you said that to them that you are asymptomatic and you have COVID-19. So when we land, I'm, I just want to let you know, I'm going to have you removed from the flight. She's like, I'm not, I'm not asymptomatic. I'm trying to just wow. explain to her that if I was symptomatic, she's like, listen, my wife has cancer. She's going through chemo. I can't have anybody on my aircraft knowingly asymptomatic. So I'm going to have you removed. I'm sorry. It's nothing personal. She says, Bullshit. <laughs> she says it is personal because otherwise, why didn't you why did you mention your wife to me? So she's like, you know what? Fine. You want to have me removed? Have me removed. So they landed, they had her removed. She had, you know, to go through the explanation oh, of yeah. to her in-flight manager what happened, what was said. Know that she got to go home with pay for the rest of her trip. She didn't lose any pay for being removed off the flight. But it was a classic case of mask shaming. You're not wearing your mask properly. You said you were asymptomatic. What are you doing here? How, if I'm asymptomatic, oh, how would I know? She said, but we were, our jaws were dropped. We're like, shit, really? This is, this is what's happening out there. And she's like, yes. Yeah. And it's not just me. So, and the company is not really asking many questions. They're just going, okay, go home with pay. But let's just remove you from the scenario. So if anybody 
points their finger at you and says, you're not wearing your mask properly. You're asymptomatic. I'm kicking you off the flight. Just say, okay. Yeah. And enjoy your time. Yeah. Smile and enjoy pay. <laughs> I had a, I had a small incident and you just reminded me of it. I, I don't know if I talked about it last time, but, um, mine had to do with the mask, obviously, since that's the, the topic and, and the WTF moment. Um, so we, we got this company, um, email that saying, Hey, you know, face covering requirements effective May 8th. And so I was like, okay, May 8th, you know, I had a trip that day or whatever. Um, you know, I better bring my, wear my face mask. Well, I read the, the message carefully. And so I was like, okay, basically what it says is I have to wear it in these certain situations. And it says when on duty, and unable to maintain at least six feet of distance between you and another person. That's what it says, right? So I was like, okay, I clear TSA, which I'm within six feet, face shield, whatever. So I wore the mask. Of course, you have to pull it down just to verify your identity or whatever. So wait a minute. Put it back on. You're right. Let me pause you there for a moment. And, I've, I, yeah. and, I, and I laughed at this too. So you go through KCM <laughs> Checkpoint, the known crew member right. portal for working crew members. And yep. the first thing you do is you hand them your identification, your passport, what have you, and you swipe your little KCM badge, whatever you do. Right. They, that they, you just touched. They, yeah. yeah and they just grabbed it from you and maybe they're wearing yeah. gloves or not, whatever. And they didn't take the gloves off between the point where they touched your passport and the guy in front of you and the guy behind you. So no. thank you. That's another story. Now it, go ahead. your photo comes up on their security page and they verify your identity that you've gone through all the security and you're good to go. You get the green light, you're cleared to go. And but before yep. they do, they say, please take off your mask because they have to verify yes. that you're more than just your eyes, right? Yes, so, exactly. so now you're and there's supposed to be now plexiglass between you and them, but they all do the they same are. thing. They all put their head around the plexiglass to, to make sure they can see. So you're <laughs> That's stupid. It's it's stupid. Yes, but please, I apologize to yeah. point that out. But <laughs> yeah, so, no, I know. So you, that's, yeah, that's you had the mask on uh, back after. So, that. so I put it back on, get my ID, whatever, clear custom or custom, clear TSA, and head out into the terminal. And as I'm walking around, I'm like, sorry, yeah, I can I can maintain six feet from uh, from passengers and and other um, team members. So in the terminal, I take off my face mask and I continue walking to my gate. And I'm walking by passengers, and they've got their face masks on. And some of them do, some of them don't. Uh, but all the flight attendants, you know, they're covered up. They've got them on. I mean, maybe one out of ten uh, didn't. But, you know, and I think they probably read the same email that I did. Um, but, you know, as I'm walking by them, I'm smiling. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> they're like, I'm going to write Just him keep up. On <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're getting that kind of, that kind of uh, you know, daggers being thrown with their eyeballs, you know. so. Uh, I get to my gate area and I got there probably 10 minutes early and, um, you know, I kind of stood around by myself, separate, segregated from all the other, uh, uh, people and everything like that. And the, and the flight attendants were kind of congregated over in the corner and another, you know, about probably about 15, 20 feet away from me. And then, you know, like casual, Hey, they come walking over, Hey, are you working this flight? And I, you know, watched them. I made sure they stay about six feet away from me. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm about 5'10". So I know if I fall down and I can hit them, then they'd be, you know, close to about six feet. So if they're that far away, a little bit further away from me than, than what I can fall and hit them, then I know they're, they're more than six feet. Yeah. 
And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And so they started saying, hey, did you know you're supposed to wear your mask around now? And I was like, oh, we are? I was like, uh, I, so I read the email and it didn't say we have to at all times. Oh, yeah. When you're at work and you're in uniform, you have to wear it. I was like, oh, well, let me read. Let's. I took out my iPad and I said, is this the email that we got? And she's like, yeah. I was like, well, let's read it together. She's like, okay. It says here, a face cast is a face covering is required of all pilots when on duty. See, it says it right there. I was like, yeah, but you didn't read the rest of the sentence. And it says, and when able to maintain at least six feet between you and another person. Yeah. She's like, oh, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah. she's like, I've taken this thing off. So we all just kind of stood there without our face mask, six feet apart, obviously. Yeah. And then as we boarded the airplane, but I, I think I maybe have. You know, I wouldn't say educated, but opened uh, somebody else's eyes to, you know, you know, I, I'm all for wearing the mask like when you're in public simply because I've always believed from the beginning of this career that perception is everything. Um, when I was uh, fortunate enough to be in a role like a, like a mentor role, whether that be at the airline or, uh, you know, instructing or what have you, I always used to tell people when you put your uniform on and you leave that hotel room door, and you're walking in the hallway at the hotel, from that point on, you represent the company you work for. So everything you do, imagine that there are, everyone that walks by you has their phone out and is broadcasting you live on YouTube or Facebook or something. Okay, so it just, if you have that mentality, you're never going to get caught in a situation where someone can say you've negatively, you know, shown yeah. us something. And yeah. what does that do? Forget about how it seems for anyone else. How does that protect you? I always want to, I'm always looking to protect my certificate first. I always want to make sure I get to go home tonight first, safety wise. Yes, I've got a plane full of passengers and people and I got to follow protocol. But at the end of the day, I'm going to take care of me because I have responsibilities at home and I'm going to take care of me. Then I'm going to take care of my crew and I'm going to take care of my passengers. And safety is obviously the number one concern. I, too, would put the mask on. I'd go get a bite to eat. I'd sit down, take the mask off, eat, hey, drink. If you have right. a Starbucks cup of coffee in your hand and you're walking around the terminal and you maintain six feet from people, people aren't going to question the fact that you got a mask on because you got a cup of coffee in your hand, right? So that, that's the other thing. That, yeah, that's kind of a decoy now. Yep. I think a lot of people are figuring out. You walk around with a cup of coffee, yep. you don't need to have your mask on because you're right. eating or drinking. Now, if I don't have that, like you, you know, I, I, was, I put the mask on and I was looking for it here a second ago. Um, I actually yeah. have a little smiley face on my mask now. Don't ask me. Oh, nice. Yeah, it actually is a, a big hit. Um, so I got cool. this mask that, you know, company provides a, a paper mask, the surgical mask, and then a, a covering to make it look more professional. And I have a nice big red happy face smile on it. And nice. so here I am walking around with this thing, and it, when I'm in the terminal, if I don't have a cup of coffee in my hand, because exactly what's going on, mask shaming. Oh, you're not wearing your mask. Yeah. And there's that yep. meme that's gone around with the, the picture of a person wearing the mask up to their mouth, but not their nose yeah. is out. And then, there's a, oh, and then there's a drawing of a man wearing underwear with his member sticking out. 
And yeah. it's like, when you wear your mask nice. like this, you might as well be walking around like this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everyone has seen this. <laughs> Everyone has seen oh, it. Oh, man. And so now it's like, you're not wearing your mask right. You know, do you walk around with your, your, your penis out of your underwear? Oh, oh <laughs> you wear underwear? <laughs> Actually, I'm curious with Roger um, on your last uh, trip. I, you know, I guess... Uh, I'm I'm not I don't fully understand where you know your plane is kept. Is it at an FBO or a hangar, or, you know, some kind of services where they come out and you know tug your plane out or whatever? But were the other employees around you that were working helping you get the airplane out? Uh, if there were, were they wearing masks at all? Um, it depends where we were. The kind of in answer to your first question yeah we mostly have the airplane taken care of for us it gets pulled out it's usually kept in a hangar they tug it out and um put it on the line so that we we never push uh, from a gate like you do it in airlines we pull chocks we flight it up and then we'll taxi out and all that's taken care of beforehand before we arrive or before the passengers arrive um in terms of whether people were wearing masks that depended on where we were the first place where we were was a was a small town in east texas and no nobody i'm not sure if they'd ever heard of heard of a mask um out there on the line Um, we did eat dinner out there and the and the waitress was wearing a mask but the line but the line people at the airport nobody at the airport had been wearing a mask and when we repoed the airplane to Austin, all of the line people were wearing a mask. I did not kind of just what you were just talking about um, in terms of the six feet, uh, because I kept kept my distance from everybody. I wasn't talking to anyone face to face. I elected to not wear a mask. Um, but with with consideration to those around me. And I kind of, you know, coming back to that that mask shaming story with that flight attendant, you know, I have several different feelings about it first of all good for her for trying to educate the general public you know that's yeah. kind of been something that, that came up what six weeks ago and i said <laughs> i yeah. said something about it yeah um but you know in the end you know i i i rode i had to to, to take an airline flight and out of respect for my um fellow fellow man i wore my mask throughout the airport and i also wore it for the entirety of of two legs on the airplane for leg one for the layover, which was only about an hour. And then for the 30 minute flight and it gets uncomfortable after a little oh, while. And man, I, that, yeah. I can only imagine that for, for those flight attendants that are wearing them for, for hours on end, it, you know, it, if you have glasses, it, it get, Oh man, it drives me and, nuts. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I was dumb and I wore my glasses on that day, yeah. you know, and I wear my contacts when I work generally, but I was going to say, Contact lenses sometimes help. (laughs) They do. Um, But the masks do create a little bit, you know, they are, they are uncomfortable. They do create some other problems with the glasses as well. Um, I think it's. For me, I have like progressive lenses because I'm getting old, you know. Oh yeah. So you need near and far. Yes. So when I put on the mask, it changes the uh, angle and the, you know, so they don't even work dimension that I look through my glasses. So the focal point is all jacked up and I, I I literally can't, if they're fogged up, number one, (laughs) and when they're not fogged, I could barely see what I'm doing. You know I mean? It just, it gives me a headache. Well, you've read the company emails, you know, the solution to that is to just readjust your mask. 
Yeah, readjust the mask. I did. I just put it below. You can only, you know, but over, you know, when you were talking about this flight attendant, I mean, what has she been on duty for nine hours? I mean, can you imagine uh, you trying know, to wear a mask the, for nine hours? The story she told me, she was up all day, you know, flying all day, basically working a, uh, I forget the term she used, not a double, but she was working a, an extended shift of some kind or the illegal maximum you can fly. And she'd been wearing this thing all day long because it's been go, 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 which, you know, the, the, they're, their work rules are a little bit different than pilots um, now. And so I can only imagine you're, you're wearing it. I barely wear that thing, you know, from the hotel van to walk through the airport. A lot of it is yeah, exactly. perception, as I mentioned. Ready earlier. to rip it off. As soon as I get in the cockpit, that thing comes off. Or first, I asked, you know, my fellow pilot, yeah. you know, I asked the captain, hey, uh, you okay with that? And they're like, oh, sh- yeah. You know, so, you know, I have an on for what, 20 minutes? And I'm done. And so I can only imagine with the healthcare workers and they've got respirators on with, you know, seals and, and face shields. And oh my God, I, there's a reason that the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels are flying over hospitals all over the country to just salute the workers that they do. And it's a reason that I do my best to, to give them a big thank you at the beginning and the end of each show because I can only imagine the sacrifice that they're doing just to keep us healthy and safe and yeah man. it's amazing big sacrifice yeah but I also wanted to talk a little bit about uh what the future of air travel could be and we talked about earlier nobody has a crystal ball nobody really knows but there are some actions that are happening here out uh in commercial aviation and airline environment that are really telling. Uh, right now, Legacy has decided to retire the Airbus A330, the 75 and 76 fleet, and the Embraer 190 fleets. What that means is substantial vacancy and displacement bidding is going to be running over the next few weeks. And as a matter of fact, I believe tomorrow we're going to get the preliminary results, at least here at Legacy. Delta Airlines has also announced that 700, the 777 fleet is being parked uh, or retired, and it's going to create a huge displacement. They've also announced that there's going to be the voluntary leave of absences, a practice that we've been doing now for a few months at the Legacy Airlines, and now Delta has announced that they will be exploring those avenues as well, all in an effort to prevent putting people on the street through furlough. Uh, I received an email just yesterday, I know Rob and I were talking about this earlier, that Legacy is going to be offering more voluntary leave of absences, early retirements and whatnot, for the month of July. So these procedures and these techniques of trying to minimize payroll during this crisis is working, and hopefully will translate into less pilots on the street. And our flight department at Legacy is by far one of the most professional and I I have to say best that I've ever had to deal with. And in a letter from our chief pilot over in the Los Angeles area, uh, he indicated uh, in a recent email that the bid shows at Legacy that a net reduction of 1,677 pilot positions are going to happen between this summer and next summer. That is the number that doesn't take into account 
the normal age of attrition of 65 for mandatory retirements. Airlines are restructuring in the face of the diminished business opportunities and refocusing on core operations. That means that we'll see a realignment of our hubs to focus on providing the best opportunities for our customers in bases that we expect to recover the fastest. We're also working hard to keep leave options open through the coming months so we can keep everyone on property that wants to stay. United announced earlier this month that it was suspending all of its long-haul flying from LAX and focusing that flying out of San Francisco. Delta had a bid that eliminates the 777 status and as well of the MD-88 and 90 bid statuses. And it's dramatically reducing the 757 aircraft as well. Their pilot projections for next year call for a net reduction of 2,500 pilots. So between Delta, Legacy, and United, some of these other airlines, they're going to be smaller. It's going to be a smaller, tighter yeah. operation. They're going to have less flights flying in and out of particular hubs. They may have to expand certain hubs, but this is going to be the mother of all vacancy slash displacement bids coming up yeah it is you know um and moab yeah so how this is going to happen it's not going to happen overnight it's going to take months of restructuring and 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 moving pieces around the board but it's going to happen and if legacy can do without suspending or or furloughing furloughing that would be great and yeah I'm in the danger zone. I don't know, Rob. I think you're not pretty close. I'm, I'm close. I actually there was a um, uh, a union email that came out with the updated seniority list. I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at that. Um, so it's quite interesting that I've 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 got close to two thousand people below me, according to that list. So and 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 it included. I don't know if it included or did not include people on leaves and military leaves, but basically I, I, I it's about 2000, give or take a couple hundred. But um, according to that, that list, I should be okay. But, you know, judging by the numbers that, that uh, you were just talking about where, you know, we're going to have 1677 positions less than, than what we have. You know, I think that is a, you know, a, and actually a refreshing number yeah <laughs> to say the least you know cuz you know you look at other companies like united i mean i think they're in a very very tough spot you know i think uh they you know a lot of their flying is international flying at least on the mainline side i obviously they do have domestic routes but you know so they're at a particular disadvantage in their route system their route network where they uh the actual uh, United Airlines flies a lot of the uh, international routes, and a lot of their their domestic routes are handled by uh, by the uh, contracted carriers. So, um, in this you know situation, uh, yeah, the the world is not opening up quickly, and um, therefore those international routes aren't coming back. So they're really, really in a in a pickle. Um, Delta, obviously, uh, you mentioned they're parking their triple sevens and and um the mad dogs and uh, dramatically reducing 757 so um uh, but they ha- they you know a, lo- a majority of their root network is is domestic i mean not a majority but a lot of their root network is similar to ours where it's domestic 
So, uh, you know, they're, they're, um, they're in a little better shape um, than, than United in, in my eyes and for what I've read. And I think we're in about the same shape as Delta um, as far as network and stuff like that, where, you know, obviously we do have international routes and we do make a lot of money on that, but a lot of our domestic routes are handled by our, you know, main, the, the main line stuff. So, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, uh, I feel confident with natural attrition and with these voluntary leave of absences that you and I will not have to you know, go on unemployment or be furloughed. Fingers I'm crossed, pretty my friend. Conf- yeah, I'm pretty confident. And and like you mentioned earlier with the TSA reports, uh, you know, trending in the upward direction, um, cities starting opening up and um, businesses starting to do more business, um, which topic for another story, which I don't feel the government should have ever restricted any company from doing business <laughs> in this in this day and age. Yeah. But um uh, as the companies are able to do business and uh, people are actually go out and make money and feed their families and, you know, pay their employees. I think people are going to like, you see it now flights are starting to get full yeah. with the ones that we have, um, you know, so which would, the more they full to get, uh, see, that's a the more full. They get. Yeah. Yeah. Bad, more fuller yeah. they get uh, the more airplanes that'll probably be required to be pulled out. Yeah. I think uh, we didn't mention, mention it, but um, uh, legacy airline is having um, some of its, uh, commuters um bring some planes out of storage yeah so uh, miami which, started up again with a reduced capacity yeah. but still i mean this is great so for our regional it's brothers and sisters out there this is exactly. crucial i mean yeah you know, we see this kind of week by week day by day we see how it reacts to our progression in our journeys as aviators um and i hope what we're trying to convey here today on this episode is that there's a lot of information out there. It, it really does depend on how you intake it. You can make it a positive or a negative. Just kind of take it all with a grain of salt. Know that there is a future here. The airlines are going to bounce back. We are traveling people. We are a traveling species. We just, it's going to happen. It might not look the same, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it'll be better. Um, I really do see that in a two, three-year projection, we're going to be stronger uh, in many ways. And even our president thinks that the airlines are going to be just fine. I was actually watching a report on one of the layovers, uh, and President Trump was meeting with Colorado Governor uh, Jared Polis and North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum on Wednesday, and he was quoted as saying that the airlines, even though they're at a 98% drop in capacity, they're in good shape. And I have a little bit of that right here. How do you increase the confidence in the American public to go travel on America's airlines right now? They have great confidence, and they have great confidence in us, and they have great confidence in the airlines. We've saved the airlines with $25 billion and another $25 billion. And uh, we have airlines that are now in good shape. I mean, they obviously, they're going to pick up with the fares and with the seats. But uh, the airline industry is in good shape. We've been able to save the airline industry, which is would have been devastating if that happened. So uh, they're in good shape. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. 
So, you know, there are, yeah. this is from Good a Newsweek clip. article uh, that reported on this, and they mentioned in there that the industry analysts are likely to disagree with the president's assessment. Stocks have plummeted due to the pandemic. Many experts have said that a number of the airlines could be forced to go out of business, and the industry might require years to recover from the damages brought on by the health crisis. With that said, we, you know, again, grain of salt, because... Are the airlines all going to go out of business? Uh, probably not. There are those that have already shuttered their doors. We've talked about that on previous shows, and I'm sure there's going to be more in the years to come. I'm sure that there'll be a few that coming out of this will have to restructure, declare some kind of bankruptcy or reorganization to come out of this. And we might even see more mergers and acquisitions out of this. Yeah. You know, so there's going to be a recovery. We are a growing population on this planet, and we do have a very small world connected by air travel. So not to worry. Uh, the president yeah. seems to think that he saved us and everything's great with this bailout. And although that, that $25 billion in loans and $25 billion in grants is absolutely yeah. what is keeping you and I employed right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a big investment in the airlines from the government. You know, so it's it's in the government's best interest that we do not fold because look how many, like you mentioned it before a couple episodes ago, look how many people are employed by the airlines. So, you know, that would be just a big burden on the government if people were to go unemployed. So, I don't know, just uh, from an un uneducated business person over here, um, you know, I think it'd be uh, detrimental to the company, I mean, to the country, to the country, to the federal government. If a major airline were to go under, yeah. So I, we I don't, don't think really talk about how many people are involved, but let's just talk about what a ninety-eight percent drop of the bookings, you know, from a few months ago to now. What does that entail? So, okay, we know that flights, airplanes are parked, flights are not happening, and that means, you know, flight crew, flight attendants, pilots, gate agents. Okay, maybe they're not working as much, okay, or or they're out of a job. And let's just stick to the aviation industry for this argument. Who else is affected? You have all the other contracts, maintenance employees. You have airport operations. You have airport fuelers, aircraft fuelers, linemen. You have all the people loading bags, catering services that are contracted out, sky chefs, and all the other companies that produce the food that we used to serve on the airplanes. I mean, all this yeah. stuff, the cleaning crew also yeah, cleaning supplies everything. and all that, the, the facilities, electricians, the airport police are still in effect, but do you think they need as many? Probably not. All these departments, all of these factors, and we're only scratching the surface here with how many people are involved with just your local international airport and even the small airports as well. So the airline industry really has always been a mirror image of how we are doing in the economy. When the economy suffers, the airlines suffer. And all of those industries that are related, connected, and really a symbiotic relationship here with each other, we're all connected. So when you close an airport, shut down an airline, you know, completely reduce your flying by 98%, you are making a huge sacrifice to the economy of whatever city or 
county you're in. So it's it behooves our economic staying power to keep airplanes flying, to keep the jobs going, to keep people traveling, because the more we can stimulate airline travel, I believe, the more we can stimulate our economy. Amen, brother. Roger, what do you, do you have an assessment you'd like to share with us? And... Oh, I don't know. I think that it's going to take a long time for, for all of this to come back. Um, it's not a simplistic thing. No. There, it's multifaceted. We don't understand so much of what's happening and there are just so many questions and so many which leads to so many unknowns that it's really hard i mean you can put one person to talk about it you could put a group of 200 people to talk about it and in the end no one really knows where all of this is going i think that the most important thing is to to just know that no matter what industry you're in is that there is another side to this yeah. I think that that fear plays a big part in almost everything. Mask shaming. I mean, that's fear. That's fear based. I mean, because because of all the unknowns, either the airlines are in a are in a tough spot. I I do not think that that we're going to get out of this without any furloughs. I I don't think that we're that that's in the cards now. Um, you know, you played the clip of Trump that kind of flies directly in the face of the CEO of Boeing, who I think it was just last week predicted that one of the major airlines was going to go out of business. Now, depending on how you want to classify major, you know, was that one of the legacy airlines? I would probably say no. I believe he was uh, commenting, got, at least it's speculated that he was commenting on legacy airlines because legacy airlines has a bigger debt to to income, income ratio, ratio right with all yeah. of the fleet modernization that they're going through. And when directly confronted on that, he denied, you know, that he meant that company he was just speaking in general terms, but uh, he, he might be right. But Boeing doesn't have a lot of credibility right now in the market yeah. either. So. And obviously yeah. we're, we're at I, a high, the highest risk right now out of all of the majors, you know, legacy well, I is think because that it's, of debt. It's not necessary because I think what he had said, and I, you know, I I only follow this. Granted, I only follow this to a certain degree because I think that when I watch too much, I know that when I follow the news, the news too much, it, it I mean, it can put you into a pretty deep dark hole. Yeah, yeah. I'm special. pretty fortunate in my situation that I'm I'm you know my job security doesn't seem to be very much at risk right now. But even but even with all this stuff, it's still I, I believe that for most people can put you in a deep dark hole on it. So I choose not to watch it. But what I'd seen is he had said major airline. Um, I don't. What is the definition of major? Like, I mean, I don't think he's talking about the big three. Uh, um, I think that those, you know, that the big three airlines are are probably probably not. You know, you guys were just talking about debt, you know, debt ratios and all that, and which is all good. I, I still think that probably the legacy airlines as a big three group will will probably be okay. You got the mid-tier airlines, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about the economics yeah. or the financials of JetBlue. And I think Southwest is probably going to be okay because yeah. they are so, um, they've been around for so long and are so heavily yeah. domestic, which will be the first thing to come back. But you got JetBlue and you've got Alaska airlines, the combination yeah. of Alaska and the Virgin. Um, a lot of people forget about like Sun Country, you know, Minneapolis, Sun Country. Like I know that. they've, they've done a lot of work doing a lot of cargo stuff, yeah. but you, you, yeah. and Miami international, 
yeah. kind of on the same page as um, Sun Country, they did go out of business already. But yeah. one of those big airlines that we think about, whether that's JetBlue or Alaska, um, Southwest, those mid-tier airlines, which, again, I don't put Southwest in it so much, you know, are, are they at risk? And then the job losses that will come along with that because of everything that you guys are talking about. You know, in the end, I don't, you know, I don't you know, perception, perception is everything yeah. except reality. I mean, yeah. what, what people see or perceive doesn't mean that that's actually what's real. And, and the real aspect of this is that this is bad. You know, does it look like it's getting better? Sure. It does look like it's getting better. I think that summer, you know, because of the way viruses work will probably be better. But if you look at previous pandemics, specifically the, you know, the 1918 Spanish flu, I mean, we are probably going to have a second outbreak. And if it follows the pattern like it did 100 years ago, it was worse than the first. And then the fear is going to take hold again. And, and then I, all bets become that you just throw them out the window again. There is another side to this. We do come through this. But what it looks like and what it's going to look like between now and then, I, I mean, if you're, you're just throwing things to see what sticks. You know? yeah, we really um, are. And, and, and your you know, observation of it is, I think, spot on. We really don't know. We really don't know. We don't know how it's going to come up. And these little minuscule microsecond advances that we're, we're getting and that the news is reporting, like there's a CNN uh, business report that just came out. And I'll put the information in the show notes. But, you know, the CEO of Southwest said, hey, people are flying again, sort of. And all that he meant was, for the first time in weeks, Americans are booking more flights than they're canceling. Yep. Okay. That. Is that a win? Well, and at the same yeah. time, when you when you look at that, I mean, people are getting upset about that, which is something else that I mean, I could go off on a complete upset tangent on. It's like, what you know, what do people want? And I think it comes back to fear. Is like, well, there's too many people on my airplane. What do you mean? There's too many people on your airplane. Southwest CEO is happy because flying's coming back, and the general public gets upset because there's too many people on their airplane. Yeah, and that's why there's kind of jets. posturing of well, hey. and I right, and that's kind of one of those things, you know. You, airlines don't fly for an Cessna individual. Cessna has a few airplanes for sale. Like the, the expectation that the airlines are flying for you to be the only person on the airplane—that's completely unre yeah. unrealistic. We're in it to make money. You, yeah, it's, I mean, and even if you want to be upset at the corporate evils or how much money they're making, they're losing money. It's like yeah. if you want to fly the only yeah. person on your airplane, go buy your own airplane, go call NetJets. Yep. Like you cannot possibly get on the airplane right now and expect to have, you know, even well, I, yeah, I no, you, with this whole fifty percent fewer air, seat. air flights than people that are gonna fly, they're flying now on fewer air flights, and therefore the flights will go out eighty-five percent right. full so that the, if possible. Hopefully the government and the taxpayers don't need to give another twenty-five billion dollars to keep the airlines afloat. Like you keep things right. just don't operate by magic without money and like to get upset because there's too many people on your airplane, you have a choice to fly or not. Return to and, gates you know, have gone up can, at Legacy yeah. Airlines. Return to RTGs. Return to gate, which is you've pushed off the gate. The jet bridge has been pulled. You've left, and now you've got. Except for passenger, because nuttiness? of passenger, and so we have been told, uh, and I know other airlines have been told, and there are plenty of news articles out there on the subject that though every airline in the U.S. right now is requiring that passengers wear the face mask during the boarding process, if they elect to remove their mask while the flight is in progress, 
the flight attendants are there to inform and plead, but not to enforce. And therefore, when a passenger decides, I can't breathe with this thing, which is understandable, they take it off. Hopefully, they don't have anybody next to them. But if they do and they take it off and now there's a confrontation, guess what happens? If you're not in the air yet and there's a confrontation and the people around them go, ah, get this guy out of here. The, the yeah. solution is this. No harm, no foul. We go back to the gate as long as it hasn't escalated. You can get off the airplane and rebook. And we won't you know, hold that against you. And the return to gates, the percentage has gone up a lot. At, at least at our airline that I know of. Um, and then those people are asked to come off the airplane and we'll rebook you uh, because you elected not to wear the mask. And that's fine. If you don't want to wear the mask, we're not going to make you do that. But know that now you've inconvenienced everyone. This is going to create problems. It does not constitute a security threat unless it escalates to the point of a physical altercation, which you know, gets into security sensitive information, which we won't talk about, but um, it's happening. It's happening. Yep. And, and people have to sure understand is. if you're on an air flight, you're, you're deciding to go on a, on a trip today and you're going to book a flight and you're at the boarding gate and you start doing a head count and you realize this is going to be a full flight. Trust me, the, the gate agents will tell you that this is going to be a full flight that booked to 85% maximum that we're doing, whatever it is you can easily not get on that airplane and rebook. That flight might not happen for a day because of the reduction of flying, but no, par- no problem. This is going to create problems. And we've already started yeah. to see this. So hope- I believe the airlines are being upfront about that, that booking policy too, yeah. where you know, it's going to be uh, eight, we're, you know, 85% is now the new full. And that is to you know, help social distancing and Middle seats, 50%, yada, yada, yada. But if you don't feel comfortable, you can rebook one time. That's it. Yeah. So we're going to see this more. Uh, There are other little issues that before we wrap it up today, I just wanted to briefly go over. Um, One of the issues is as a pilot for a major airline or for an, an airline in the U.S., be careful. Because we have lighter loads, we talked about the increased performance on takeoff at the beginning of the show, which is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful way to talk about performance, baby. Yeah. But what about fuel? If the plane is lighter, it requires less fuel to get up to altitude to cruise and to your destination. So what traditionally, let's say a flight from Phoenix to Los Angeles might have required let's just say 11,000 pounds of fuel to get to your destination in a particular aircraft and land with enough for the minimum 45-minute reserve in the event you need an alternate. You need also alternate fuel and holding fuel. But let's just say it's a beautiful day. You just need your 45 minutes of reserve fuel. Well, if you're a lot lighter, and we've been landing the aircraft with a landing weight that is below the charts for our landing app. So if we go into an airport, it's got a wet runway, braking action is less than good. If it's a runway that's shorter than a particular criteria dependent on the aircraft, we have to go into our EFBs, pull up a land app, plug in the numbers, how much you weigh, what are the winds, what what are the degrees of winds from the runway? Is it a headwind, a tailwind, what is it? And if you have any of these particular criteria, you're required to run the numbers in your land app. 
And I've noticed that if we had like a two knot tailwind, okay, you got to do the land down. So get in there and you're like, well, what do we weigh? It doesn't go down. <laughs> it doesn't go down that light. So we we put in like, say, 140,000 pounds and we're actually landing at 132,000 pounds. And we're like, well, it says we can do it at 140. So I'm sure we're fine. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, exactly. we're, we're be careful because we're not requiring as much fuel. And of course, computer programs have a, you know, computer algorithms that figure all this out and says what your release fuels should be and what your arrival fuel should be. And when you arrive at your destination on a short flight, like say Phoenix to LA, which is about an hour or less, and you're landing at a, at a, a so many thousand pounds that are below what you normally land with, and it's at a point where your aircraft will issue a ECAM message saying, hey, you're low on fuel. <laughs> yeah. You may not be at the minimum fuel to declare an emergency or a fuel emergency, 30 minutes of reserve, which, hey, if you get 30 minutes or less of fuel anticipated at landing, it's an emergency, emergency. required declaration. So you're still landing with 45, 50, 55 minutes of fuel at landing. However, you're landing so with so little fuel because of your weight that you might get an ECAM message or ICAST message or, or whatever engine and alerting, you know, pilot alerting uh, system that you have. So be careful with that. Not something that Roger is having yeah. to do with because you get to dictate how much fuel you get, you know, but when you're dealing with a dispatcher. How do you guys fly around? Do you, do you guys fly around with a full tank all day long? Oh, oh, good lord, no! We <laughs> we we can put uh, thirty thirty one thousand pounds of fuel on our airplane, and which is enough to go six thousand nautical miles. Wow! It wouldn't really make sense to. Uh, yeah, you can get twelve hours out of that airplane. But do you guys you know, we, do uh, the dynamic fueling then. So according to your weight and whatever your flight plan is, you carry what you yeah. need. Yeah, when we usually we just actually can can ballpark it. We'll do a rough estimate. We we typically do a rough estimate of 3000 pounds an hour, which is really 3000 pounds the first hour and then it's actually a fair amount less, but you're always going to err way on the side of, sure. of caution when you do it yeah. that way. Um so that's usually how how we'll fuel the airplane and depending on the cost of fuel um where we're going whether we have better contract rates, we might we actually might tanker fuel, but it's very rare you know, even when we went, even when we went out to Hawaii a few months ago, we only had two thirds tanks full and that was to carry extra, extra fuel because, you know, obviously there's no, there's nothing to do in the middle there, but, yeah. um, otherwise we're running around a third of a tank. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and that'll, Makes and that'll sense. get us a thousand miles. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so be careful out there, folks. Uh, captain ad is uh, something that the captain can do is call dispatch and say, Hey, uh, let's put 900 more pounds of fuel. Captain ad, there's some weather and bumps or whatever, whatever excuse you want to give the dispatcher just so they can put it in there because the dispatcher, they get a particular percentage that they want to just take the fuel that they need for that flight. Because otherwise that leg, that flight segment, which everything's tracked. Okay. By accountants and everything that segment costs too much money because they put too much fuel. You arrived with all that fuel and granted, they don't look at, well, the next segment you need to put less fuel on. They don't look at it that way. Um, so they're doing their best to keep the cost operating cost as low as possible. And one way is by giving you only the fuel you need for that segment and a day VFR where you're not required with alternates and extra and hold fuel. When you land day VFR under IFR flight rules, um, 
you could have, if you have to do a go around, you might be on the vapors. <laughs> so, yeah. So keep an eye on that. That's definitely something you're going to see in, yeah, in the months to come. Last topic of the day, distance learning. So what is distance learning? We've talked about recurrent training. We talked about currencies. We talked about, you know, going in for your type ratings and sim events, but we haven't really talked about what distance learning is. And most 121 operators involve, and, and most 135 operators as well, involve some kind of distance recurrent training. And every quarter over at Legacy, we are assigned distance learning. Usually it takes four or five hours to go through all of these um, modules that they have on our electronic flight bag, our tablet, our, our iPad. And usually you, what you do is you download them and you go through the topics and you have the computer voice that tells you, you know, what you're learning about, which is so exciting to listen to the computer say, and in oh, the man. Airbus, we have 1.2. Yeah, and so you're trying to just muscle through, stay awake. I'm not a Red Bull kind of guy, but, you know, three, four cups of coffee later. <laughs> yep, you know, and for sure. So what do we do? And Rob, you and I both just finished a distance learning module yeah. for quarter two. What can you tell me about how your experience with your distance learning went? Um, you know, it was... Um... Well, there was nothing really to it. Um, you know, sit and listen and answer the questions at the end, which are usually one or two questions. Um, pretty straightforward. The thing that I actually like about it is that they do briefly touch on some of the new changes that have gone on in some of our company manuals. And um, so it's nice to get, uh, for me, uh, more of an audible introduction to that stuff. Uh, rather than just going in and reading it, which, you know, obviously we're supposed to do that too. Um, but, uh, you know, at least it kind of uh, uh, kind of highlights some of the stuff that uh, have been changed in our manuals. And uh, so I, I get a kick out of that. And there, there, recently there was a, uh, a new program that was added to the 737 um, uh, app list for the uh, EFB. And basically it was an FM, I forget what the name of it is. <laughs> I obviously have to go back to school and learn learn what the name of it is, but it's basically an FMS app. And um, in, in our, um, in the 737 that we fly, the software version, you, there's, there's, a, there's a very limited um, ways to figure out if you changed altitudes or change routings, how that will benefit your uh, your flight as far as fuel and time and stuff like that. So this app is uh, is in our EFB, and um, it yeah. actually uses FMS the actual plus. flight data. Thank yeah, you. we have Thank it too. You. I knew it had an FMS. Yeah, one. FMS plus. Okay, so you guys use it too. So it's really neat to use. I mean, obviously, uh, it's better for the longer flights and stuff like that. And the stuff that we I've been doing lately, you know, it doesn't even come into play because you're by the time you get up uh, to altitude dude you're you're descending already so but yeah that's stuff like that that um, was kind of neat to um you know see it uh you know it presented in an educational format where you know you can actually learn a little bit from um so i didn't have to go in and read about it and try to figure it out myself yeah um other than that you know it's 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 uh it's kind of redundant stuff you just you know the uh the information is just um Going over the stuff that you would normally go through in a 121 check ride environment, you know, where you're doing a close parallel, 
um, in instrument approach procedures and, you know, high altitude um, aerodynamics and stuff that's good to, re you know, obviously good to have refresher on. But um, so a lot of it's uh, very repetitive from the last time you heard it. Um, but anyway, that's my experience. I, I, I kind of when I get the email that it's time to do um, the quarterly stuff, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of a, a go getter. I'll, I'll go ahead and download it right away. And just try to get it out of the way right away. Yeah. Because I I'll tend to forget, and then you know I I'll see the email. Oh, it's almost time to make sure you have it done because the quarter's almost over. Right. So I'm like, ah. I know so, guys. Anyway. They don't even look at it until they get the email going. You have 24 hours left to complete your exactly. distance learning. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because if you I don't, friend, just like you're that. no longer qualified, and you get removed from the line, exactly. and you get a phone call from the chief pilot going. What the oh, hell, dude? Not only that, <laughs> my buddy's emailing me, texting me, hey, how do we sign back into the app again? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> and of course, 24 hours prior to when it's due, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, my password's yeah, exactly. not working. <laughs> Call ID. Like, dude. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, that FMS Plus trainer um, was new for us as well uh, on the bus. And uh, basically, once you push off the gate, you're up at altitude. Uh, you were playing a 38,000 foot flight, and you your ATC tells you uh, you're. Altitude's going to be uh, 28,000 feet today uh, for traffic, for weather, for, for bumps. And you're like, oh, okay. So you could try to go through and text dispatch through the ACAR system, uh, which is not the easiest thing to do when you have a, <laughs> a little tiny keyboard and a little screen and you only, you're limited to how many lines you can put in there. So what you can do is you pull up this FMS Plus app. And from what I understand, you can plug in the variables and it'll start, it'll basically do what the dispatchers traditionally do on their computer. Exactly. It'll run the numbers. It'll give you what your speed should be and what your fuel burn is going to be and your anticipated uh, arrival fuel and all that. Now, mind you, yeah. even though this has been out for a little bit and the training is now, you know, in this quarterly program, uh, now the company can go, well, you've been trained. You should be using it. Yeah, Don't bother our exactly. dispatchers with this stuff. They're busy. Um, yeah. So, but but I've always seen. I don't even have to let them know we're leveled at twenty eight thousand feet because the aircraft tells on you. The aircraft is constantly yeah. communicating exactly. with SOC um, systems operation control constantly. I mean, you overspeed this airplane by two knots on some parameter that's a limitation. Trust me, they know about yeah. it before you figured it Active out in the airplane. Telemetry. They know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. They know that, okay, you've just adjusted your cruise altitude and your FMS to 28,000 feet. That's 10,000 below what your plan was. And before you even get a chance to type a message saying, hey, uh, ATC is giving us 280, uh, what's our new fuel? You're already getting the numbers for the fuel burn coming up Something on your ACAR system on the yeah, printer. Yeah. Pretty neat. And I think also, too, they have less airplanes to track, too. So they're uh, a little more focused on uh, yeah, right now. planes that are in the air. <laughs> yeah, right now. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, this is uh, something that also uh, for training or, you know, if you guys coming into the airlines or flying different airplanes, you know, uh, this software that they have is, you know, obviously something in addition to what we use now. But, um, you know, the newer airplanes, I think they a lot of that stuff is built into the FMS. I know for a fact when I was uh, uh, on the 175 and, and flying it as a Czech Airman, you know, that was a built in software feature to the FMC. Huh. So they actually had a page called the what if page. And um, so when you go into the what if page, you could actually build routes, um, change your speeds, change your altitudes, and it would give you all that information in the what if page. And the cool thing about it was if you liked what you did, you just uh, click uh, select activate hmm. and it would do it. So that was, uh, I think 
uh, and it's and it's a Honeywell software thing too. So I think it's just uh, you know that was probably in the 175, the current you know the newer probably whatever third fourth generation FMC stuff. So um, I think what they're seems like what they try to do is use that app to supplement you know the the, the older software stuff so to make it more user friendly and current and you know less tax task saturated for dispatchers and stuff like that yeah, so i don't know exactly that's uh, yeah knowledge is power the more things you have to know the more you can screw it all up well that wraps up episode 42 of squawk ident Want to take a moment from all of us here at Squawk Ident to thank the frontline workers, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, EMTs, medical techs, firefighters, law enforcement, grocery store employees, truck drivers, Amazon workers, and of course, all the airline employees that show up to work every day to provide the essential services that they do. I feel we are finally kind of over this hump of the minimum flying and and the damage that's being done to not just our industry but the economy around the world and we're starting to see a little bit of normality coming up are you enjoying squawk ident we truly do hope so please visit our website at www.aviatortony.com that's alpha victor the number eight romeo tango oscar november yankee.com And there you can check out episode cover art, episode archives, photos from the flight line, the pilot shop with cool Squawk Ident gear, and you can leave comments and audio feedback as well. You can contribute to the show right there on the homepage, and you can help us with equipment marketing expenses by becoming a producer of Squawk Ident, either with a one-time or recurring contribution. And a big uber thank you to our newest producer of Squawk Ident. My hat's off to you, Captain Ryan Rosinski, for your generous contribution. Facebook and Instagram users can search Squawk Ident Podcast. And Twitter and YouTube users can search Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident to follow on the socials. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would really help us out if you would just take a moment to leave us a review and share the podcast with some friends. One final thank you to Roger and Rob for joining me on today's adventure on episode 42. I do hope that you guys had as much fun as I did. I know talking to you guys every week uh, about the industry that we love and the journey in aviation has always been something I look forward to. And, you know, hopefully we can keep this thing going for years to come. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having us, Tony. It's a good time. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm glad we get to share this with uh, our listeners and um, talk about aviation-related stuff and stuff going on in our lives uh, with our listeners. So thanks for having us on. And thank you to all of you that are out there that are taking the time to listen to this Grateful Aviator, those Grateful Aviators, and for all of you out there that are flying, keep the dirty side down, be safe, and take care of each other. (laughs) 